This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to Garden of Sound. I'm your host, Ian Turner. Thanks for joining me today. If you're listening online or via a podcasting app, the simplest way to get every episode of Garden of Sound is to subscribe. Just head to gardenofsound.nz right now and hit that subscribe button. It'll give you all sorts of exciting ways to ensure you never miss a program again. Today's guest is Matthew Everingham. He's a pianist, composer, musical director and law graduate is also the artistic director of the Christchurch Pops Choir and he's had some of his original material performed in Westminster Abbey. It's not bad for someone in his 20s. But where to next for this uber-talented Christchurch musician? This is the Garden of Sound interview with Matthew Ebringham on 96.9 Plains FM. Matt, can you tell me about uh, your first memory of music in your life? Yeah, it was quite early on. Um, I was probably only three or four, I would imagine, and my grandfather, he was a pianist uh, who played by ear a lot. He never really read sheet music in his life, and he would, we would either be at his place or we had a piano at ours, and he would just end up on the piano and start playing out old old tunes from his childhood and working them out and harmonizing them and you know accompanying himself uh yeah it was so it was hearing him play when I was between three and five I kind of remember grand oh there's granddad on the piano again before I'd even really kind of I would touch the piano but I'd never really played it properly so it was it was really him that sparked that first kind of interest in it what was the moment when you said music is for me, or perhaps you were allowed to more than just touch the piano? Sure, I think it was six or seven that I uh, was offered to take up piano if I wanted to. Offered slash heavily encouraged to, as a lot of people are when they're six or seven. So it was, yeah, I guess when I was younger than that, I kind of would bang out things on the piano, often very discordant. And then... What kind of things were you playing back then? Oh, it was probably just Twinkle Twinkle or, you know, something as simple as that. Um, Or just clusters of notes, as five-year-olds tend to like playing on the piano. Uh, And then, yeah, six six or seven, I I think it was six, um, took up sort of formal piano lessons. And then, you know, over that early time, it was very much just something you did because mum and dad wanted you to do it as a lot of people probably have been in that position. Um, but but also it it was sort of a gradual, definitely a gradual evolution into, no, this is something that I'm quite good at and should, yeah, really enjoy. So was it a classical path that you felt that you were destined to go down? Well, yeah, I think the train, I guess I was lucky and fortunate looking back at the time you kind of perhaps get frustrated by it, but to have that classical training where you go through the grades and, you know, you progress and do all your technique and, and everything. Um, but I was also lucky in that my teacher, Laurie Searle, who's a um, great Christchurch piano teacher and has, you know, done some great playing around the city over the years, um, he he has a background in, in both classical... He's a very good classical pianist, but has also played uh, jazz and, and popular styles as well. So he was really open to 
transcribing songs that I wanted to learn at a level that I was able to play them at, you know, and that was amazing. He could sit there and, and then write them out. You could go, kind of go, okay, you've been playing for three years, so, and you want to learn this song, so I'll write it out for you at a, at a level that, you know, is achievable for you. So that was alongside the classical training. Um, it was really great to have to have that whole other world as well. So uh, composers, at least, I um, mean, in the classical world, who what did you like to play? Uh, on on the piano, definitely Beethoven. Yeah, Beethoven was someone that uh, had all the kind of classical, you know, nous and, and the work had all the chops that you you know they wanted you to explore, but. He was also wrote in a way that, as a composer, I could really relate to, and he wrote expressively for his time. And composers after that, in the kind of Romantic period, Chopin and Brahms, Tchaikovsky, uh, yeah, it was it was great to kind of experience those composers just from the piano, just as a singular instrumentalist. And before I even studied composition, to kind of relate to them as composers for the piano and and being an instrumentalist. Uh, experiencing their works from from that side of things so music wise was it just piano was there any, any other instruments were you singing ironically i never no i never i didn't even uh consider singing until much later now that i now that it's a lot of my work working with singers but um it was actually sax i took up saxophone at high school level from from year nine so I did all my early piano training and then thought I need to learn something else as well. Why the saxophone? Oh, it was just that kind of romantic, charming idea that everyone wants to play the saxophone. And, it, you know, and I loved jazz as well. So it was definitely, you know, that kind of ideal coming into it. And, it, you know, it was, you got to play genres and styles of music that, you know, you, you didn't always get to do in the first instance on the piano. So, yeah, it was, it was good to kind of dabble in that for a while. Okay, so you've got the piano, we've got saxophone. Outside of the, the arts and growing up in school, uh, was there anything else that you took a fancy to in terms of study? Well, yeah, I mean, I was definitely the classic kind of music kid at high school, for sure. Um, but then as I got to university, uh, I always loved English and history and classics and um, decided to do another subject as well as music and actually took up law as well at university. So ended up uh, kind of paralleling doing a double degree in music and law. So that kind of was another whole world of fun, if you like, um, <laughs> uh, between my music studies and just another completely different subject, kind of law and law and politics was something I kind of have this weird fascination and so took up that as well in the last few years since I've been at university. How has um, knowledge of the law and politics at least benefited your music. Yeah, um, I was always interested early on in composers, why composers wrote, and you know the political reasons why, say, Shost uh, around some some of say Shostakovich's works or uh, jazz, you know, jazz artists who had really strong uh, political lives as well. And I was always fascinated in and their, their stories and and their motivations. So I think before I even studied. In law, I kind of had definitely had an interest in both things, and then it was really interesting studying them together because they're quite opposite schools of thought. Where you do, especially in composition, where it's very creative and expressive, and law is a lot more by the book. Um, however, 
and and quite logical in a way, but also doing the two different disciplines kind of were really complementary in that they would make you think about the other in, in a different way, which I found really helpful. I think especially working as a musician since in freelancing in particular, having legal training has been really helpful uh, in terms of just being able to read and understand a contract. Um, copyright was something I was really interested in studying and and did study, and it's been really helpful as a composer. You understand APRA um, really well. You understand licensing. You can help friends out who are... <laughs> I've helped numerous friends out who have had questions about their own cabarets or... or you know, licensing and, and music issues around that. So, you know, regardless of, of using it going forward, um, I think it's been invaluable for a music career for sure. We talked about classical, we talked about jazz. Um, are there any particular composers other than, than Beethoven or any other musical influences who have sort of, you know, got you going? Absolutely. Um, I was really... As a composer studying, I was really interested in finding that third stream, it's sometimes called, between the classical world and the jazz world, or, or classical and world, or classical and other genres, because I think we kind of draw these distinctions between genres that, especially in the 21st century, in the age of streaming and in hybrid genres, but they just don't necessarily exist in a way that's as defined as we used to think they were. So, yeah, I think composers that uh, kind of... M- meet that stream in between classical and other genres, um, I find really fascinating. Anyone in particular? Well, I think early on, earlier in the, you know, in the kind of classical canon, still relatively recent, but George Gershwin is a big uh, example of that as someone who, you know, had strong classical training, but really, you know, unlocked a lot of, of music and potential in musical theatre and, in, and indeed, like, you know, a lot of his songs are now jazz standards all over, so... He'd be an early example, for sure. And then you know later on you've got Miles Davis and things who are starting to in their later albums start to move away just from traditional jazz and kind of go back to experimenting with full orchestrations and um, you know experimenting with form that's not just your t- typical jazz form and kind of in a more modern compositional kind of approach. Is there a track you'd like to play today from any of your um, influences? Certainly, I think, especially as a pianist, uh, George Gershwin's uh, piano concerto in F is has always been a real uh, passion of mine, and I've I wouldn't dare play it right now, but I'd love to eventually, you know, give it a whirl. Uh, and it's 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 an example of his very theatrical style of writing, but in a very American style of writing, but also very innovative for the time in terms of bridging out of the classical world and into a much more kind of theatrical and jazz-influenced kind of style. So this is um, the third movement of his concerto in F, the Allegro Agitato.
This is the Garden of Sound interview with Matthew Ebringham on 96.9 Plains FM. Hi, I'm Marina from Dan's Produce. When you're putting food on the table, it's not just about the cost, it's also how good it tastes. At Dan's Produce, you get both. Lower prices and fresher food, all from a great city location. And when we say fresh, all the fruit and veg you buy from Dan's is kept cool and undercover no matter what's happening outside. So next time you're out shopping, make a beeline for Dan's Produce. On the corner of Draper Street and Stanmore Road, just over the bridge. And if you let us know you heard this ad on Garden of Sound, you'll get an extra 10% off your next shop. Dan's Produce, open 8 till 6, 7 days a week. On the corner of Draper Street and Stanmore Road. This is the Garden of Sound interview on Plains FM with Matt Everingham. Matt, uh, what was the first concert or gig or event that you paid some money to get along to? I think it would have been a gig that my mum probably paid money for. Uh, <laughs> and it was again early on when I was new to sort of learning the piano. And I remember it being in the Christchurch Town Hall. And it was my first orchestral experience. And it was quite a, it had quite an impact on me. I think it was Lung Lung playing the now world-famous Chinese pianist who has sort of taken the world by storm and is, you know, playing world over. I think he, he opened the 2008 Olympic Games as one of the headline artists, but this was when he was quite young and really new, and he played, I can't remember what concerto it was, but he had this pianist at the front of this huge orchestra, and that was definitely something that really had an impact on me, and I kind of remember going, wow, you know, uh, this is something that, this this whole world something I want to be a part of. Why was it a classical concert that your mother took you along to? Um, I think she kind of could tell I had an interest in, in that world and possibly some potential maybe in the mix. Um, and she it's also something that she really loves. You know, she loves listening to classical music and has grown up with it. So it was also something she was interested in going to. Opportunities-wise, there've obviously been plenty throughout the the years. What's your um, what's your greatest learning curve, or we'll call it a, a learning opportunity for you? I think it was definitely university, and um, towards the end of my studies, getting into stage three, especially doing two degrees at the same time and working as a musician, it was certainly trying to balance those things, and sometimes sometimes successfully, sometimes unsuccessfully. Uh, and realising that actually there does come a point where you need to make a choice about what you want to do with your, you know, what you want to put your energy into. You can't, you can't necessarily split it a million ways. So um, kind of realising that as I got later into university and those stage three courses get quite intense. Um, but, at, you know, coming out through towards the end of those courses, you know, successfully and, you know, with a much better knowledge of kind of who I was and, and what my passions really were. What kind of mentoring or support have you had throughout the years? I've been really fortunate, especially here in Christchurch, in that there are really well-established musicians and musical leaders who you know, have taken me under their wing. And uh, not only that, but the kind of quality of music education here is really strong. And we've got a great, you know, from high school age, you know, really busy uh, and exciting high school music kind of scene. So from those early days, having great high school music teachers, and then since then, uh, being in a relatively small music department at a university was not at all a hindrance. It was actually a real opportunity because you had a lot more one-on-one time with the staff and the lecturers, and um, 
you know, you, you had in a way more resources with with less students. And then aside from that, in my freelance career in particular, having, you know, some really um, inspiring and uh, helpful musical leaders who've kind of given me a lot of guidance and, you know, really kind of promoted my career as well. So to have that whole mix of, of older people in, in Christchurch who are really supportive has been quite amazing, really. How would you support folks who are out there who have the talent but perhaps don't have the, the background or the finances right. to support that talent? Yeah, honestly, I think it's, it's a st- I think studying unlocks so much for people and we're lucky in New Zealand in that study is something we c- at university level that we can do relative, relatively easily and hopefully it, it, you know, it'll get easy, even easier. Um, because, yeah, I didn't, I'm from a very mid- you know, middle-class family and private music lessons are, are an expense. So for people, you know, it's, I think really that study at a tertiary level, if you can, whether it's in a contemporary program and a classical program and a composition program and a jazz program, um, I think for me, even having the music tra- musical training I did before university, I do I do think university really cements it, and and can unlock uh, a lot of opportunities for people. And programs at tertiary level now are, you know, very flexible and adaptable to particular musical journeys and paths. So I think, yeah, I think investing or just just trying to commit to that kind of uh, longer term study, if you can. Or just learning, you know, trying to find musicians that you can learn off outside of that in particular, because a, you know, just studying at a tertiary program doesn't necessarily unlock a musical career for everyone. So I think finding those musical friends, those musical leaders that you can be mentored by, um, and just being, you know, just being kind of brave enough to to say, hey, look, I'm doing this, I'm doing this path or this journey. Um, can I join you on it? What's the uh, what's the one piece of advice you'd give to a, a young Matt Everingham, whether he's little Matt or perhaps slightly more <laughs> grown up Matt? Um, oh, that's always a tough question, but honestly, I think probably just don't be afraid of committing to that kind of dream of a music career, because I think, particularly in New Zealand, in the current climate, young people are first of all, not encouraged and sometimes actively discouraged from a creative career. And I think that's really dangerous uh, for for a country and a society that wants to have, you know, a diverse working population. And in fact, the arts are proven to be a, a really strong uh, economic area for so many, you know, you look at Europe, you look at America, I've just come back from New York. Uh, and it's, you know, in a way it's, what keeps that city going in tourism is Broadway and it is that entertainment, yeah, the entertainment industry there is a huge part of their economy. So I, first of all, I don't like justifying the arts on economic grounds, but first of all, they are really strong. Um, so I just think don't, if you're a young person, and I, you know, I, I came up against this, it's just every now and then you get questions like, oh, why are you doing music or why not law? Or, um, uh, and to be honest, I just think, yeah, and I always knew that this was something I wanted to do, but there were definitely times when I doubted it. And I think just don't doubt it and, you know, stick to that, that path and, and just trust that, you know, in New Zealand it's also possible. Is there a favourite piece of music that you've carried with you always or something that you've always come back to love and joy? Yeah, um, 
as I've done a lot of work in musical theatre, uh, a composer that I always, you do end up, especially as a pianist, you play you play a lot and you play a lot of music, especially in the musical theatre kind of canon. Um, but there's one composer that I always find so fascinating at compositionally and not only that but also artistically and what he does with lyric and, and text but also harmony and um, with instrumentation and that's Stephen Sondheim. And uh, as a composer myself, I just, yeah, I, I, I'm always finding new things in his, in his work. They're some of the most fiendish piano parts to play, uh, but that makes it really exciting. So um, there's a particular piece, a particular show of his, um, Sunday in the Park with George, which is one of my absolute favorites. It's the most beautiful score. And um, there's a piece, Finishing the Hat, which I've got here. Um, but it's actually, it's kind of a reworking of it. Um, because when you asked sort of a genre and a piece that inspires you, I really love minimalism as well. And it's the, you know, the, the genre of contemporary classical music that really took the world by storm for a while there and is a really beautiful reworking of a whole lot of material down to a really minimalist form. And there's actually a, an album by a New York pianist who has got composers to rearrange works of Sondheim for, for piano, for solo piano. So this is um, Stephen Sondheim's Finishing the Hat, arranged by Steve Reich, one of, the, one of the great minimalist composers. And I just think it's a really fascinating combination of, of those two worlds, which to that are two worlds of music that I really love, and to hear them come together is, is quite fascinating.
This is the Garden of Sound interview on Plains FM 96.9 with Matthew Everingham. Matt, uh, tell me about making music. Tell me about composing. Tell me about getting stuff out into the real world. Sure, I mean, it's that's always such a... People say, how do you compose? And it's always a... That is the question. And everyone does it differently, I think. But um, I was lucky to go through a... You know, a, a, a kind of contemporary classical composition course that really encouraged finding your own voice and using the skills that you had to bring to your own work. So I, for me as a pianist, I do often write at the piano, but also I found it can be quite, there can be a lot of freedom in writing away from the piano. So, but it's also a lot more difficult. Uh, so I do tend to write at the piano and then go from there. Um, but that can be quite limiting in a way because you're immediately composing for a pianist's mind as opposed to the canvas which is a lot bigger than just the instrument that you're sitting in front of um so I do try and mix it up and and more recently right away from it which is I find really quite exciting and new and fresh and and it encourages you encourages you to find new musical ideas that are outside of that that framework that you're so used to and then in terms of yeah, it's 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 a hard thing. It's always that that next that next question of of getting it out there, you know, especially as a as a compo- as a as a relatively new composer who you know hasn't got this world renowned compositional portfolio that everyone wants to tap into. So it's really just trusting your work and work and spending enough time on it to know that it's you know it's polished and that it's it's good. Uh, and if you feel proud of it, then then offering it to people uh, or I'm lucky recently to be getting commissions from different groups, especially some choirs. And uh, that's always the you know a really great way of getting work out is to have relationships with conductors or with singers or with artists who go, hey, can you work with can you work with me on this? Or um, my choir you know needs needs this piece, and we're going to this event or festival. Um, can you you know can you write something for us? And that's always a real honour. So to try and have those, I think the first thing in music is relationship building and I'm lucky as a performer because I do get to meet a lot of conductors and, and singers and choral directors and things. So yeah, just building those relationships and letting people know that you're a composer and hopefully they you know, pick you up at some point. <laughs> What's the most diverse or outside the classical jazz realm that you've you've worked on, something that's very un-you. Yes. Well, actually, it was definitely during my university course, and I found that really fascinating. I did work that I never thought coming into the course I necessarily would have done. In my first year, I really I wrote quite pianistically and quite tonally, which was fine. But and at the point at that stage, it was very me. But that second year, I did some. I wrote for Cash Register. <laughs> I did a sort of performance art piece for for like a toy cash register, which was kind of hilarious. Uh, I did some prepared piano work. Um, I did, yeah, did I set poetry by Sylvia Plath to prepared piano and and voice. But the singer, a good friend of mine, she um you know she had to basically it was a whole it was an acting piece as well. It was. There was yelling, there was speak, there was spoken, a lot of spoken word, and then there was sort of classical soprano stuff in there as well. But yeah, it was certainly during that that time I was really encouraged to to push the boundaries, and I was I'm grateful for that because then 
going back to the other styles that I write in, it kind of unlocked more, many more options for me. What are the tools of your trade? Any particular software that you, you use? Absolutely. I mean, I'm a big Sibelius user uh, for notation, definitely, for arranging and for composition. Uh, Logic as a, you know, Apple Mac devotee, sadly, they... They've taken over my life as well. <laughs> but yeah, definitely Logic and Sibelius. Uh, and then obviously QLab as a, as, as a composer and doing sound design for theatre QLab is obviously something we use a lot, yeah. Can we hear something that you have written? Certainly. So another area kind of in the last few years I've really become passionate about is film music. And it was always a, a kind of pipe dream to, to be a film composer and... Um, theatre is not too far away from that, so it's 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 a beautiful world to be in. But I did I was lucky enough to go to New York University last summer, or the last summer in the Northern Hemisphere, so middle of last year, and uh, be a part of their. I was accepted to be part of their summer film scoring work, workshop. How did that come about? Uh, it was me scouting it out online, and and they have a open applications, and they take quite a few hundred applications, and then. You have to basically send in scores of your own if you want to be a participant. So if you want to be an active writer for the workshop, you can go as just an auditor, so someone who just views the workshop. But if you want to be a participant, you have to send in in a a full application. So you do that and you send in examples of film scores you've worked on. So I sent in some short films I'd done uh, for different projects, some short film scores for different projects. And was lucky to be accepted sort of early last year and then go over in May, June. Uh, and they take about 20 orchestral composers and 20 hybrid digital composers. Um, so I was quite keen to be part of the orchestral track because you get the resource of being able to write for... They have a studio orchestra that they have on the course, which not every day you get to write for a studio orchestra. So I was really keen and happy to be accepted into the orchestral program. And, and wrote for this studio orchestra. So you get to rescore a... Uh, they basically give you five different clips from various Hollywood films, uh, and then you you get to rescore them. So these few-minute-long little clips from different different films, and you then get to rescore for a, a whole studio orchestra. So this piece uh, is a rescore of um, the animated film How to Train Your Dragon, and obviously this is a radio interview, so you can't see what's going on, but... We can imagine. It's exactly. called Theatre of the we Mind. All, we all have imaginations, right? So this is uh, a scene, a beautiful scene, uh, and I, it struck me when I first saw it because of the, the palette of within two or three minutes, there's um, just so much colour and the landscape's so diverse. So it's the first, I think it's the first flight of the dragon and you have these two characters, a young boy and a girl, flying up into the clouds and sort of discovering this this dragon and its ability to fly. So, uh, and it kind of goes into it from day and sunset into this night scene above the clouds. And then they arrive on this sort of island landscape um, later in the, in the score. So this is uh, called Astrid's Discovery. Thank you. 
This is the Garden of Sound interview with Matthew Ebringham on 96.9 Plains FM. Hi, it's Marina from Dan's Produce with a reminder that you can get 10% off your next shop just by letting us know that you heard this ad on Garden of Sound. That's 10% off your next shop at Dan's Produce just by saying you heard this ad on Garden of Sound. Dan's Produce on the corner of Draper Street and Stanmore Road. This is the Garden of Sound interview on Plains FM 96.9 with Matthew Ebringham. Uh, Matt, you've talked about New York, you've talked about funding. Are you lucky or are you a go getter? <laughs> Um, well, I, you know, I, I do think, especially as an artist in New Zealand, as a freelance musician anywhere, there is an element of having to, having to survive and having to have that energy and that passion that, you know, allows you to go out and, and find work and also, you know, get the support to do the work you need. But also, you know, I'm hyper aware that, you know, I'm, a lot of these things are do come down to timing and to some extent to chance. But you're right in that, yes, I think as a freelance musician and any type of artist, there is an element of having to create your own work and find your own means to do that. So, yeah, I mean, I guess that's been a big part of me being able to do the things I do, but also the support of those different, whether it be funding uh, bodies for that particular trip to London or... Um, or similarly, the, the the funding group that helped me get to New York last year to, to do the film workshop. Um, you know, that's a real. We're, we're blessed to have those in New Zealand, and you know, um, while arts funding isn't huge in New Zealand, um, it, 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 there's still stuff out there, and it's just finding the finding the the knowledge and tapping into the people that know who to go to, um, but also doing music in a way that's uh, viable commercially and and for a population of people that actually that want to hear it as well you know you've got to be conscious of that as well has there been a low point or any time when you wanted to give it all away just say i've had enough i've yeah i mean i was here during the earthquakes uh we we lived in north new brighton and our house was you know in the red zone or we didn't know at the time but the swamp <laughs> the, the liquefaction of the water and the sinking house did suggest that we'd probably be in the red zone and then sure, sure enough a few a few months later we were in the red zone um and that was a that was a really testing time I was right at the end of high school going into university so there was a lot of uncertainty at that time and that temptation to to not be brave and not do something artistic and creative uh was certainly an an idea in my head um you know, and a lot of people didn't follow music because I know friends that didn't do music because of the uncertainty at that time, and and um, you know, and, that, and schools and universities were going through a lot of upheaval. So that was a really difficult time. Um, but at the same time, there was a lot of creative and new things happening since 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 the earthquakes, and a lot of you know even theatre companies that have started, choirs that have started, the Christchurch Pops Choir that I've just taken on the artistic director role for. They started as a result, or well not, as, you know, soon after the earthquake, as a as a way out of it. So, you know, musically there was a lot going on as well. What's on the horizon for you? What's coming up? Um, so immediately, um, I'm working on a production of Catch Me If You Can, which is on at the end of the month. It's inspired, obviously, by the original film with Leonardo DiCaprio, but uses a new score, not the John Williams film score, obviously, but um, a great, really great kind of jazz big band 
style with kind of a cinematic feel as well um, by Ma- a score by Mark Scheiman, who obviously is the writer of Hairspray um, and has yeah, done really well in the music theatre kind of world. So it's a really great score and a really great cast of friends who I'm really lucky to work with. So that's on at the end of the month at the piano, uh, 24th till the 26th of August. And then after that, I'm working on a production of Mum's Choir at the Court Theatre. I'm the music director for that, which is a really beautiful New Zealand play involving songs. And then uh, Les Mis with um, Showbiz Christchurch. I'm assistant music director and a pianist on that production, which is September. So down the track, let's say five, ten years, anything you really want to accomplish? I mean, I am really conscious that I've lived my entire life and my whole musical life in Christchurch or, you know, nearby in in New Zealand. So um, I do have this itch and this urge and I think artistically this need to to maybe to go away for a bit and study or do a master's especially, but also, um, you know, tap into musical work overseas. Uh, So that's certainly something that's uh, in the pipeline for sure to, to just kind of as an artist to try to get out, see the world and, and also try and take your art to the world and, and, you know, take it out, take it out there. Is there a track you'd like to uh, play us out with today? Yeah, sure. Um, it's not a, unlike the, the Gershwin piece, it's not a huge bombastic piece. It's quite the opposite, but obviously another whole world I'm involved in is the choral world. And I love conducting choirs and I've loved working with choirs over the years, either as an accompanist or as a conductor or as a composer as well, and a choral composer who's really taking the kind of contemporary choral world by storm is Eric Whitaker, who's an American composer. He started off as a kind of rock musician, actually, I think in the 80s, and has turned into this really amazing, stunning choral composer with this really unique harmonic language, um, which is also really beautiful. So this is his Lux Arumqua, um, which means light and gold, and uh, it's a beautiful piece uh, for SATB Chorus.
Thank you so much for joining me today. This week's guest was Matthew Everingham. If you'd like to listen to any of the songs played today, or in fact any of the artists or composers Matt talked about, then please head along to gardenofsound.nz and click on Matt's photo. You can also get details of Catch Me If You Can, for which Matt is musical director. The season runs August 24th to 26th at the Piano in Christchurch, so make sure you get in quick for that one. As always, thank you for joining me on the show. Please do subscribe and also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. I'm Ian Turner, and this has been Garden of Sound.